We have unity of action. We lack unity of thought. But our unity of action, I mean, it shocks us. In 1965, the African and whites revolted. I mean, revolted. They shocked America. Shocked themselves. We did that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a revolutionary. Making and planning mass revolts is my job. I tell you a secret. I've been doing it a long time. When I was in SNCC, we used to use non-violence of cover to make rebellions in Houston, Texas, in Atlanta, Georgia, Cambridge, Maryland. <laughs> I mean, we be just like Kenya, we non-violent, we'd pop him with a car. <laughs> and that's all I do. And if anyone ever came to me and said, we want you to make a rebellion in Los Angeles, I'd really be happy to do that. But I have to honestly tell them that really at this time I can't do it. But these Africans in Los Angeles, they hear something they don't like, which they consider to be an injustice. Without the slightest planning, everybody in mass jumps up and takes on Los Angeles. We have strong unity of action. I mean, you have it too, don't get confused. If tonight, after I leave here, the local clan rides up on the campus, puts up some racist signs, slaps a couple of sisters, brothers around, tomorrow morning, every African out here be out here. Even the Uncle Tom's, let's get down, we got to do something. And I promise you, for three or four days, you'll be very hot. There'll be no peace on this campus for three or four days. White students even be afraid of you. And after three or four days, you will sit down. And you'll forget about it. And the Uncle Tom will say, oh God, please don't let him come back before I graduate. <laughs> we have unity of action. We lack unity of thought. It's because we lack unity of thought that our unity of action is so spontaneous. We jump up and sit down. We jump up and sit down. We must come to qualify our action. We must come to get unity of thought. This unity of action is powerful, and it comes from mobilization. A young student came to me the other day and said, Oh, Brother Kwame Ture, I sure wish I was around the 60s. I said, Why? I never want to go back in history. I want to go forward. And what lies before me is far greater and brighter than what lay before me in the 60s. He said, well, you know, in the 60s, we were so united. I said, were we? He said, yeah. I told him, no, we were not. He said, we were I said, no, we were not. Well, Saji for Kwame and Krumah says, unity presupposes organization. If you have no organization, you can't be united. Unity is not a feeling. I imagine when the clan comes up here and you're, 30 or, you're three or four days when you're real hot, everybody say, hey, brother, what's happening? Hey, sister, what's happening? Yeah, get down, brother, sister. You think you got unity. Unity is not a feeling. Unity is not an emotion. Unity is a means of channeling the energies of the people towards given objectives within principles. In the 1960s, we had no organizations. We had mobilization. You must not get confused between mobilization and organization. The confusion can be compounded if one doesn't study properly Dr. King and doesn't know him. Dr. King was one of the greatest mobilizers this century has ever seen, but he never organized. He was not an organizer. And for him, he didn't need organizing. After all, Dr. King was a reformist. When you're a reformist, all you need to do is to put pressure on the people to tell them to do right. Because all Dr. King saw as his job was to put pressure on the American government to show them that they should live up to the Constitution. That was his task. When you want power, you organize. Because you don't want to put influence. You want to seize power for yourself and do for yourself what you put in pressure for the others to do for you.
as Dr. King never thought of organization. Of course, when you mobilize, everybody can be against the same thing. When you organize, everybody must be for the same thing. You mustn't think everybody being against the same thing means that everybody is for the same thing. That's where the confusion arises. I will be reading from Message to the Black Men by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and I will be reading from page 221, and the chapter is titled, How Can We Unite? Now, I'm going to be skipping around in some phrases um, noted in this chapter, just so that we can get to the point of the message that concerns black people. All right. So you say that we cannot unite and produce our own necessities? We are 22 million or more people dependent on the white American citizens to produce food, clothes, shelter, transportation, employment, and our educational training. If they, white Americans, do not share equally with us, we, share, we charge them with discriminating. Some of us will even go so far to the extreme of disgracing ourselves and trying to force the white American citizens to give equal respect. The love of self and self-respect along with the will to do something for self if given a chance will get you the respect of all civilized nations it is a shame and disgrace to the intelligence of any people to lie at the feet and doorsteps of another nation asking and praying to be cared for love and unite of self and kind is the key to our salvation if you say we cannot unite you are wrong we can unite I agree with you, though, who are in the Christian churches, lovers and followers of white Christians, that you cannot enjoy love and unity amongst yourselves. The basic aim and purposes of the religion Christianity was to deceive other races, namely the black people, to make any prey for the right race. But today, you and I both see the powerless forces of Christianity unable to bring about peace amongst those who profess it. Since Christian Europe and America cannot bring peace to their troubled world with all their satellite nations as helpers, what kind of peace can they make for us? Their religion divides one amongst the other. This I am for sure that we can all agree on. We must know self to gain self-respect. This will remove the old slave idea that so-called Negroes cannot unite and build an independent nation on some of these of, of some of this good ground that we can all call our own. Stop looking for others to help you in that in which you can help yourself. The white man has made the black man lazy that he may rule and enslave him by producing and selling to him that which he can produce for himself. But the white man knows that he has destroyed the black man's unity. And as long as the black man thinks he cannot love and unite with black people, the white man knows that he has a permanent slave. You know, Marcus Garvey had the same issue. And, um, well, first and foremost, what's good, black people? So today we started out with Kwame Torre. Um, this was one of his lectures in the early 1980s, I want to say, uh, or the early 1990s. So I think it was the early 1990s. And, uh, he was doing a lecture at one of the universities in Miami, and he was talking about unity in this particular lecture. So um, if you want to look up the lecture, I'm pretty sure if you just put in Kurami Torre Lecture, University of Miami, something like that, uh, something around that should pop up. Um, or just put in 
Karami Tore speaks on unity. But anyways, um, I wanted to make a particular video uh, or a podcast like this, similar to the last podcast. The last podcast, I was talking about how um, you cannot save the masses of black people and you must do for self. And I wanted to make another podcast like this. And I know that I'm a bit behind on my podcast episodes, but it's cool. I will be getting up on that this week. All right. So I, sh I should have like five episodes up before this week ends. But nonetheless, right. Something that Marcus Garvey said is that the number one person or the number one set of people that have been holding him back above everybody else, the number one enemy. That's always trying to sabotage what he's trying to do for black people have been black people. The number one enemy that we have is ourself. And that is something that I have thought upon for years upon years, especially when I was first introduced to Marcus Garvey in 2017. And, you know, studying him and reading his books and his his writings and his speeches and you know having that finalized in my mind or fertilized in my mind rather I, I came to this conclusion that you know I think we are our worst enemy I do not take away from what white people or white supremacy has done to us as a whole mentally financially emotionally physically you know, spiritually, but I also have to agree that the only people who are holding us back is us. There's too many of us in this nation and, and much less in this world and uh, that basically want to be at the feet of white people. We rather protest and sing these Negro spirituals and put Black Lives Matter in our bio Instead of doing for self. Because something that I always say. When you say Black Lives Matter. Who is your audience? When you say am I not your brother too? Who is your audience? When you say I am a man. Who is your audience? When you say arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. Who is your audience? Because it's not black people. So in this. You also have to understand. That you are begging. Pleading to white people that your life matters when you haven't made your own life matter. You you don't care about your own life, so why should they care about yours? It's like something that Elijah Muhammad we just read. He said that if you have love for yourself and respect for yourself, then every other nation will have respect for you. But if you don't even respect your own brother or your sister that walks up and down the street, how can you expect another set of people to then respect you? You want to accuse white people of discriminating against you and disgracing you and, and treating you like dogs. But yet you treat your own brother like trash, like garbage. You won't even look at him when, when you go up and down the street. And, and some people have an issue if you look up, uh, look at them, you know, for too long. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's this issue that we have. And he said that one of the uh, keys to our disunity is Christianity. And that is something that I also have to agree with, is that religion has taught us to uphold white people. 
as angelic beings and to look out look, uh, look upon ourselves as as devils or something inferior we even go so far to still calling ourselves minorities based upon what the media has portrayed um, upon us to be when we are actually the majority in this world so when you have this notion that black people can't unite in I've said this, I was having a conversation with somebody in the comment section on my Instagram, and this man was saying that, uh, when are black people going to unite? And I said, when Jesus comes back, you know, and <laughs> I was being literal with him because black people are still waiting for a savior. They're still waiting for somebody to get them out of their predicament, but they cast off and cast away every prophet, every watchman, every, uh, messianic figure that tries to speak some sense into them. They they deported Marcus Garvey. They killed off Malcolm. You know, and casted him off and accused him of being a man of hate. Um everything concerning the black power movement, black is beautiful, even going into now where we have this black is uh, black is black excellence, do it for the culture trend. Everything is a trend to our people it seems. I remember when I used to wear my fro out when I used to go to church with my uh, my parent, my grandparents, and my mother. Um, my dad he went to another church. <laughs> uh, he went to his church that he was growing up with. You know, don't want to give out the notion that I was in a single parent household. But anyways, um, I remember these elder elder black women used to come up to me and be like, "Oh, he's trying to bring back the seventies." He's trying to bring back the, the black power movement. And they, they spoke on it as if like that was just the trend. That was the phase. And now we're in a we're in a different phase. We're in a different zone now. You know. It's kind of is <laughs> ironic. Um, but it's hysterical to me that us as black people, we don't see an issue with that. You know. Um we know what it takes to get us out of this predicament, but we're not willing to take the steps that is necessary to get to where we want to be. We think that begging white people for reparations and creating hashtags and blacking out our Instagram page is going to get us to where we want to be. We think that protesting and marching up and down the block, screaming Black Lives Matter, um, you know, and I can't breathe. We think that this is something that is going to take notice upon our oppressors. Mind you, these are the same people that had you in shackles. And even today, they still psychologically have you in shackles. We're talking about a set of people that went so far to massacring black cities. We're talking about like Black Wall Street and Rosewood. We're talking about people that do not care. They do not have a conscience of being civil with you. Something that Karami Tori also said back in the 60s is that in order for you to be peaceful with another set of people, they must have a conscience. But white supremacy, or much less white people, do not have a conscience. This is why every time that they get into a particular interaction with somebody, their immediate thought is war. Their immediate thought is destruction. And we have taken on that mentality and that mindset as well. To where we burn bridges with each other so quickly. If somebody looks at us the wrong way. If we disagree with just the minor things in life. 
we want to cut each other off before uh, having a particular meeting about it. You know, having a one-on-one. But we want to easily just uh, exclude ourselves from other people because we have a different thought process or a different point of view. And I'm just talking about the bare minimum. I'm not even talking about, uh, you know, pledging war on somebody. But this is what you have today. This is what you see today in this day and age when it concerns us as black people that we have this dilemma in which we want to be close to other sets of people, but we don't want to be close to ourselves. Something that Garvey also said is that if the Frenchman can do it, if the German man could do it, if, if everybody else could do it, if the Indians and the, the Arab, if everybody else can do for self, what's stopping you? You know what I'm saying? If, if you cannot do what other men have done, what other nations have done, then you are better off dead. And Dr. Amos Wilson, in his book, Falsification of African Consciousness, it's a great book, you should get it. In that book, he mentions that there is no guarantee that there's going to be a black utopia. There's no guarantee. And, and that, that hit me. That really, <laughs> because this is was this was near the end of the phase of my pro-black African, uh, pan-African, you know, phase in life. Um, and for people who are newcomers and, and listening to me, this isn't to say that I'm against my own set of people. Um, and this isn't to say that I'm not race first because I do strongly believe in self-preservation. But when I read that from the falsification of African consciousness, when I read that and he was saying that there's no guarantee that we are going to get victory. There's no guarantee that we are going to see the outcome um, of this struggle and rise up again as black people because he, he made so many different examples of the Tasmanians and so many other people, uh, sets of tribes and nations, they have been discarded. They have been erased from existence. And he was like, who's to say that we won't be erased from existence? Who's to say that we won't as a set of people, uh, you know, cease to exist. And when I read that, it, it made me think on a lot of things. And when I saw what happened last year with George Floyd and I saw black people crumping in the streets, doing the Cupid shuffle, I mean, laying out in the streets, talking about I can't breathe, people praying with other white people and the white people asking God for forgiveness upon what they what happened with black people during slavery and the black people just breaking down, crying. I'm talking about black people tap dancing on police cars and like when I really saw all of this, I'm talking about black people standing out in front of the masses of police officers and they getting pepper spray like like it was a remake of 1960s uh, like it, it was just ridiculous to see you know and, and like to see this happen over and over and over again throughout history after studying history because as one of my professors said that there are no uh, re remakes you know history doesn't repeat itself it only has parallels um, so when I saw these parallels in, in history, it led me to this conclusion and to this mentality that I still have today that the masses are the walking dead. And when I heard these Hebrew Israelites, you know, back in 2019, 2018, 2019, say that there's only going to be 144,000 
or a small remnant of people that are going to be saved. I thought they was crazy. I'm like, there's no way with the millions, even billions of black people in this world that there's only going to be 144,000 that are going to be saved. But looking at <laughs> looking at the patterns of how we act and how we uh, perpetrate ourselves amongst each other and our priorities and how out of line they are. And I'm not saying that um, there's, there's a low chance of us, you know, regaining our consciousness because I do not know. And, you know, the overall outcome, I do not know. But it's not it's certainly not going to happen uh, in this lifetime. It's surely not going to happen in this lifetime. Uh, but never say never, you know. I can't say that we are never going to unite as a whole, as, as a set of people. But just looking at what black people are occupied with on social media, looking at what black people are occupied with just out and about, you know, even when you look in the, in the news and, and just the talk that we have amongst one another, you can tell that our priorities are out of check. And we are not, uh, it's not that we are outnumbered, but our issue is unity, it's organization, as, as you know, Kwame Torre was talking about. Our issue is organizing. And, and the thing is, we don't have a one set of mentality. We don't have a, a one mind, one voice type of mentality. The Asians, the Jews, the Arabs, they all share the same thought process. It doesn't matter what their particular beliefs are, whether they're a Christian, a Muslim, or a Jew. Uh, it doesn't matter what particular belief system that they are subscribed to. The Arab, the Asian, the, the white people, it doesn't matter what they think and how they think, how they dress and how they appear to be. They are all on one accord when something goes down in their community. Black people, we shut each other off if we just think that somebody dislikes Obama. We, we shut somebody off if, if we even think that somebody dislikes white Jesus. We shut somebody off. If, if we even think that somebody, uh, you know, dislikes, you know, uh, uh, I mean, like you would really think that black people wouldn't do this, but we'll shut somebody off just the way that somebody dresses or the way that they style their hair. You know, it, it's, it's little things like that. The petty things, our petty differences that we have. But in conclusion, I don't want to make this any longer than it already is. I uh, I, I just wanted to make this known that when it concerns us as, as a set of people, and it concerns the the very things in which that we are occupied with, and what we see in this day and age, and uh, Martin Luther King Day just passed a couple of days ago. You know, and just seeing the mentality in which we have in the inauguration just happened yesterday and just seeing black people or, or black women primarily, or I'll just say black people because it was both it was both black men and black women that I saw on social media giving praise to Kamala Harris, who's not a black woman. She's an Indian woman, but they were giving praise to this particular quote unquote new era and that this is something to inspire the, the youth. And I'm like, we are reprocessing ourselves into another reconditioning just like what happened with Obama you know is is beyond me but until next time I'm Tyrone thank you for listening to 
this podcast. Hopefully you got something out of what I had to say. I will be making more podcast episodes. Do not worry. Okay, but I, I treat these type of podcasts in which I can speak my mind and just the things that go on in my mind. And hopefully that when you listen to this, you get something out of this. And this makes you think and, and be more self-aware of where you are in this society. So until next time, my Tyrone, if you don't know uh, my Instagram or my social media, my social media or my main social media is the Omnius Roan. Uh, Omnius, O-M-N-I-S-T, the Omnius Roan. Um, if you want to check me out on YouTube, uh, Rome Productions with a Z. Until next time, you guys, I'm Tyrone, and I am out.